was Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England. What's up, everybody? Hello. Welcome back to another episode. We are so thankful to have you here with us on this beautiful, beautiful Thursday. At least I hope it's beautiful because... Listen. It's been not beautiful at the time of this recording. This has to be... And I've only been around for like 23 years. Yeah, not a long time. Not like 23 years. Actually. Approximately. <laughs> almost 24 even. Next month. But I feel like this is one of the rainiest summers on record. Yeah. And I like the rain. Me I too. Do. I love the rain, as we all know. But it's been humid with the rain. And that's really irking me. Because, and it's summer. Right. And I'm going on vacation. At the time of this recording, I'm going on vacation tomorrow. I'm going up to a lake house with my parents, right? And normally I hate the sun. I don't want it. Go away. Goodbye. But this one week of the year that I actually want the sun, it's not going to be sunny. It's going to be cloudy and rainy the whole time. Like, I'm there Saturday to Saturday, and it doesn't get sunny Thursday. So I'll have two days (laughs) of sunshine. And even then it gets to be 90 degrees. And we all know that I'll really, 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 really love that. (laughs) So I can't wait. Nothing says vacation like Liz being miserable. (laughs) Speaking of miserable, there has been some huge updates in the true crime world that I'm sure everyone here who's listening who lives in New England at the very least has heard of. Because this is not something you can miss. No, and this is going to be old news too by the time this episode comes out and we're talking about it. But at the time of this recording, this is still pretty recent. And I feel like it's very groundbreaking for this case. Yes, because after over a year of talks about Harmony Montgomery out of New Hampshire, who went missing and unreported for two years, it seemed like there was never going to be even close to a conclusion because nobody was talking. And all these people around Harmony's dad were dying, like his ex-girlfriend or whatever was found dead. All this creepy, crazy stuff. And finally, his girlfriend or wife, whatever, at the time of her murder, came forward and told all of the details, and it was all released to the public. And I read every single word, and it still is in my brain. And I cannot stop picturing the words I read. We talk about graphic details. We talk about bodies. We talk about decomposition, crime. With this particular statement, I was nauseated. I truly was getting very sick to my stomach because it was very descriptive Mm -hmm. and it just seemed like it went on forever and ever and ever. It just did not stop with the terrible details. No. So Kayla, who was the one that ultimately came forward and told police these accounts, right? said that Harmony was sitting in the backseat of the car and she was doing whatever. She was being a kid. Yeah. She was, what, six, seven? She was a baby. She was a little girl. And Adam, her father, this piece of shit, (laughs) was driving and reached back and just was hitting her. And he would hit her a couple times and then put his hand on the wheel, hit her a couple times, put his hand on the wheel, and then he was hitting her. And then she stopped moving. She was moaning Mm -hmm. for a couple minutes did they go to the hospital? No. Did they call 911? No. They just kept driving. Mm-hmm. And then he said something to the effect of, I think I really hurt her this time. Yeah. And she ultimately, of course, passed away. And Adam, and Kayla for that matter, yes, kept transporting this little girl's body into different 
items, really, and then carting her around Manchester, New Hampshire. For a long time. They kept having to, like, they put her in a, a duffel bag to start off with, and then they said the duffel bag was smelly and leaking mm-hmm. fluids, and yeah. so they added a trash bag, and right. then they put it in a cooler that was in the hallway of their apartment. Yep. Just the hallway yep. that people were walking past, and then that started to smell and leak, and then they put it in the ceiling in another trash bag, and then mm-hmm. that was leaking, and then there was a part that said that her body ended up in a maternity bag Yeah, that Kayla was given after a stay at a hospital in Manchester. Right. Which I think is really sinister because if you are putting the body of one of your children into that bag that you mm-hmm. receive from having another child, mm-hmm. you should not be having kids or even be around kids. Correct. Because she's just as guilty, if not more so, because she kept this from everyone. Yep. And somehow or another, Harmony ended up in a freezer. She did end up at Adam's workplace, which was Portland Pie in Manchester, New Hampshire, which I believe I saw has since closed. I'm not sure if it's related to that. Um, but he kept it literally in the freezer that he shared with his coworkers. In a, she, he kept her body in a bag, in a freezer, and nobody was the wiser. And then one day he just decided it was time to get rid of her body. And at this point, according to Kayla, it didn't look much like Harmony, but you could still tell it was Harmony because of her teeth or her hair and her, I don't know, her face skin was still there. Something crazy like that. And the details she gives about him trying to thaw her out to fit into this bag I literally was, like, gagging. I felt so terrible for this little girl and how much injustice was done by her own family. Mm-hmm. And I think just the system, too, because who allows a child to go missing for two years? Right. Did nobody think, oh, yeah, I haven't seen Harmony or I haven't heard really any updates about how she's doing. Maybe I should call and check in. And there were state services involved as well. That's my understanding is that social mm-hmm. services or somebody had some kind of an eye on mm-hmm. this family. Yeah, he was given custody of her. So they were known because Harmony's mother was struggling with drug addiction at that point. And I think it can be confirmed now that she had nothing to do with this. Um, but she was struggling with addiction. She recovered and she came back and was like, where is my daughter? You know, and as a result of her addiction, had lost custody and somehow... It ended up with Adam, who was also struggling with addiction and clearly is a criminal. Which is fucked, because this kid would have been better off in the hands of her drug-addicted mother, who was trying and trying to be a good mom, as opposed to this piece of shit who literally murdered her Mm -hmm. and carted her body around in various vessels for months. Months. Until one day he finally decided. He rented, what, like a U-Haul or something? He rented a U-Haul. And then transported it with just the bag in it somewhere and we still don't know. We still have no idea. So the police are asking for information, like if you were in Manchester at that time and you happened to see someone resembling Adam driving this U-Haul, right. give them a call because they need to figure out where he drove the U-Haul because no one is talking about where he drove it and what right. he then did with her body. Right. And it's so sad. Like, obviously, this woman, Kayla, is just as guilty. She is an accomplice, 100%. I'm thankful for Harmony and her family that she came forward and gave those details, but she could only give it up until the point where he drove the U-Haul yeah. away because he did not take her with him. And he said specifically it's in case something like this happened. Right. And how long have the police been in contact with her? And she was like, I don't know. I don't really know anything. And yeah. I'm not really sure. Hmm. 
Yeah. I'm sure they offered her a plea, a plea deal. And oh, that's why. absolutely. I think yeah. she needs to be rotting behind bars just Forever. as long as that asshole Adam. 100%. But yeah, that's just the latest update on that. It's a really major case in New Hampshire, in New England. Absolutely. You guys can Google more information if you want to read... The details, I um, would caution you, extraordinarily graphic. I think if you and I, Liz, had a really hard time reading them, if you guys, I mean, we we both work in healthcare too, so I think that it takes a lot between us constantly reading about true crime and also working in healthcare to rattle us, but I think just the fact that those details had the effect on us that they did. I think that you guys, if you want to know more, <laughs> um, just keep that in mind and really take caution before you do a deep dive. Right. It's very tragic. And, you know, we like to update you guys on these updates because it's relevant. And even, of course, that one because it's in New England. Yeah. And then also out of New England, there's a few updates with the um, Delphi, Indiana murders, which is something we've mentioned on here several times. Mm-hmm. And, you had messaged me and said, hey, he admitted to Richard Allen, the man who was arrested in October for their murders. Obviously, he's been denying it, been denying it. Apparently, they have several jailhouse confessions on record where he admitted to it. And then also recently they released that on a phone call with his wife, he admitted to it. And it's record. That's recorded. So... We'll see where that goes. They're, they've been unsealing affidavits. Yeah. I believe, you know, it used to be that there was no idea, like, it was kept very vague because of their ages, and we knew that they had died. They said something around the neck. They didn't specify what, and they said that there was some clothes missing from the crime scene, and all you could do was speculate. Now they've released what clothes were missing. They said it was a pair of underwear and one sock. Which is oh, random um, and awful. And then also that they found one of the reasons why they connected Richard Allen to it was from a spent bullet shell or casing that had been tied to Richard. So it's speculated that he maybe shot them or it's also speculated that he cut their throats. You know, there's a whole bunch of different, but I think soon enough we will know because they've been unsealing all these documents. Yeah. And I think they're going to continue unsealing them as more information comes out. And it's also interesting too, because you, they show a picture of him when he was arrested. He's this big, fat, bald guy with a beard. And then they show a picture of him like this week and he's emaciated. He's thin. He looks dirty and sick. I don't know. I don't feel that bad for him. People are treating him very badly in prison. Which, I mean, as they should. I'm sorry. As they should. It's pretty obvious that he's responsible. Inmates are not kind to other inmates who have harmed children, especially sexually. Right. A lot of incarcerated individuals in prison have children of their own that they miss very dearly. Right. So when someone comes in, joins a population, and they eventually learn of what they did. If it's really heinous, sometimes a guard will let it slip. Right. Oh, yeah, this guy's in for sexual crimes against a child. Do whatever you want to do. I'll turn my back at 12.01 p.m. Like, do whatever you guys need to do. The prison justice system is real. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But I think it's so interesting that we're seeing all of these developments in old cases Mm -hmm. and in huge cases. It's really an interesting time to be around and paying attention to true crime. Especially with all the things that are getting solved, you know, through DNA as well. Yeah. It's very interesting. So, you know, stay tuned, guys. Not 
on our behalf, but just in general, because those cases are really interesting. And of course, both against children. So they especially tug at the heartstrings. Yeah. And it's so, and it's so relevant. And I'm glad we can talk about these other cases. Obviously, you know, one is in New England, but the Delphi case has been a very interesting case, in my opinion, since the beginning. So I like to give updates when we can, because, and I hope there's more to come because those poor little girls, they deserve justice. It's all three of them, you know, Harmony and then the Delphi girls. So For sure. And I feel like today's case is no different. It's one of Maine's oldest cold cases. Right? It does involve a little girl. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like with all of the developments in other cases these days, it would really, really be cool to see this one be solved as well in our lifetime. A hundred percent. And I really hope it is because there's got to be some DNA that they could use to find the answer for this little girl and her murder because it's just brutal. This case was also suggested to us by a lovely listener, Tabitha P via our website submission tool. Who of course is my boyfriend's mother. She's very sweet. Thank you for the recommendation, Tabitha. We really appreciate it. Um, I hope I hope we do justice for you. Yeah, because this is this is a very popular quote unquote case in Maine, so it's definitely a good one to finally cover. We've had it on our list a long time, mm-hmm. so the fact that it was recommended to us, we were like, let's just do it. We have a good person now, a good reason why to do it, <laughs> so let's do it. And without further ado, today we will be covering the, the murder, murder of Mary Olenchuk. All right, let's get started with our sources today. Katie, tell me what you got. I'm starting off strong with Wikipedia. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Interesting. I also have News Center Maine, Find a Grave, True Crime Diva, which is a fabulous blog we've actually used before and really loved. Mm-hmm. I also used WordPress.com from Miss Night Terrors was the name. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. And Web Sleuths. We had all of the same... Sources. No way. Tap. Well, I had Miss Night Terrors, a great article. I had Web Sleuths, which had an article that I couldn't find elsewhere pasted in it. So I was like, okay. And then I also had the True Crime Diva, which had great information. Find a Grave. And then I had an article called Tap a Talk, which was from a website called Protect Your Kids. Oh, shit. So I was like, that's interesting. Okay, great. All right. So... Mary Catherine Olenchuk was born on November 18th, 1956, to parents Peter and Ruth Olenchuk. Peter and Ruth had three daughters, Nancy, Jane, and then Mary was the youngest. The Olenchuks actually did not live in Maine. They lived on an army base in Joliet, Illinois, but they spent their summers at a seven-bedroom beach house in Agunquit, Maine. The closest beach to them was Little Beach, and that is where the family spent most of their time in the summers, and also will be where Mary was the day of her murder. Agunquit is a very big tourist town. It's very popular. It's next to Kennebunk in Kennebunkport, which is also famous for, like, the Kennedys have a home there and all this kind of thing. The Bushes, I believe, also do or did. So it's kind of big in that way. Um, Agunquit is, it's really pretty. It's a cute little town. Um, I've been through the downtown more recently, actually, and it was really cool. It's beautiful. It's, and it's very LGBTQ plus. I was just going to say. Positive. Mm-hmm. Yes. They are, it's like a big community that, I don't know, there's just a big community presence there. I don't know why. Yeah. It's, nice. it's so nice. And I honestly, anywhere that 
they're able to set up a community and have their community and everyone gets together and just that really nice sense of, I feel like those areas are always very safe. Yes. And I feel like it's just very welcoming and nice. And it's, I know, I like it. Just thinking about like going there and Mm -hmm. hang out with my gay friends. Yeah. Let's go to the beach. Mm -hmm. Let's have fun in a beautiful seaside town. It's what the gays deserve. Right. It's a very pretty town. I really like it. And I like your perspective on it. (laughs) As far as Mary goes, anyone who knew her described her in such a positive tone. There wasn't like one thing I read that was negative, even slightly. At this time, she was only 13. But even so, like there was nothing bad about her. She was described as being a good girl who was known to always help her mother with chores. And she was, this fact was often followed up with the fact that her whole family was really tight knit and close. I mean, three sisters, that's pretty fun, you know? She was also described as being pretty and confident, but she had an appropriate level of shyness to her, which I think is important. For sure. Definitely can be. Mary, who I love this was also a wicked animal lover, and she had an Irish setter named Kelly that she trained and liked to show off during her summers in a gunquit. So she was known to be on the beach with her and showing off her tricks and doing all this yeah. stuff, which I thought was so cute. I saw in one article that, well, Mary was a redhead, mm-hmm. and people would often comment and be like, wow, that's crazy that the exact shade of color that your dog's coat is matches your hair yeah. exactly. So they looked really good together. It was like a cutie little girl and her dog, Mm -hmm. and they had the same color hair. (laughs) That's really sweet. I love that the dog's name was Kelly. Yeah. What a fun name for a dog. It's very cute. When she was at home in Illinois, she attended weekly Girl Scout meetings, and she was also known to have plenty of friends through that, plus school and church, because she was a devout Catholic, which, great, love it. You have a great community within that. Mary's dad, Peter, was an Army Brigadier General, and he was actually also a commanding officer of the Army Ammunition Supply Depot in Juliet. He was a big head honcho. He was very important. Very smart man. And some people theorize that that may have been the reason why this happened. Yeah. Because he was a part of something that was kind of not great right before Mary was murdered. On August 7th, 1970, Peter had been put in charge of Operation Chase, which stood for Cut Holes and Sinkum. This operation was a United States Department of Defense program for the disposal of unwanted munitions at sea. This program was very controversial because it involved dumping shit into the ocean. Yeah. Like chemicals, weapons. Nerve agents. Yeah. Crazy shit into the ocean. Yeah. Into the ocean. And this is the 1970s. So this is when people were starting to wake up and really be alert to pollution Mm -hmm. and global warming. And we really have to respect earth and maybe not dump literal biological warfare tools into the ocean. What do you mean? That sounds perfect. How else (laughs) are we going to get rid of it? By using 3000 ton blocks of concrete to get rid of it in the ocean. Nobody goes to the bottom of the ocean. Who cares? Who cares about the animals? <laughs> Who cares if it washes up on shore and a little kid gets a hold of it? I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> this also was during the Vietnam War, so naturally controversial. And then just to put you guys in a timeline here, the Kent State Massacre happened on May 4th, 1970. So 
literally a handful of months before this. Right. And that was a big deal. Tensions were still running high. You know, things were just not in a good place with the war as is. Right. So this operation really pissed off a lot of people. Absolutely, it did. And a lot of people were becoming, like you said, more environmentally conscious. And things like Operation Chase weren't exactly um, a good idea. No, and it just was not ethical. No. Just like the war wasn't ethical, but you know. Right. So the army was transporting nerve gas, which is literally what it sounds like. It causes pain, burning eyes. It could paralyze people. Instant death. Right, instant (laughs) death. You don't want to breathe it in. You don't want to be... In the same state as this. No. So because the army was transporting nerve gas from army bases in Alabama and Kentucky to a Liberty ship off the coast of Cape Kennedy, which is now Cape Canaveral, Florida, the governor of Florida himself, three congressmen from Florida, and the mayor of Macon, Georgia, all protested the army transporting this gas through their states because it was such a threat. Of course. If that truck... Thank you! What if it rolled over? Exactly what I was going to say. What if it tipped over on a major highway? Everyone would be dead. Right outside a city and the wind was blowing the wrong way. Come on, guys. On August 8th, a newspaper in Richmond, Kentucky, received a threat that a group of students would kidnap families of those involved in the operation. Which, again, might I remind you that the Kent State Massacre, which involved students, was a handful of months before this. Right. So, students were among the population of many that were still really pissed off. And like you said, Katie, these people were targeting the families of those who were a part of Operation Chase. So who would that be? People like Peter Olinchuk's daughter, Mary. Just to to keep it in your brain, because it's it's a theory that everyone has, and I think there could be some weight to it, and obviously Operation Chase was really fucking stupid. Yeah. So, activists making threats. Interesting. Vietnam War in general. Right. People protesting in the streets and being met with violence. Like, it just... A general distrust and hatred for the military. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, what are the chances that this comes out on August 8th of 1970? This threat. This, we're going to hold your families responsible, too. And then on August 9th of 1970 is when we're going to talk about... When Mary disappears. On August 9th, 1970, like I just said, one day after this threat was placed in the Kentucky newspaper, Mary, who was 13 at the time, was at Little Beach with some family and friends, her mom, her older sister, friends they had made in the years since they had been going to this beach in Agunquit, and they were all hanging out, and then at roughly like 4 p.m., it was high tide, High tide was coming in and Mary was like, I'm going to go. I have some errands I want to run. I've had enough of the beach. She's probably been at the beach all day, which 4 p.m., Jesus Christ. And she's a redhead, so she's she's probably getting burned. She probably was a lobster. Yeah. Granted, they had the ozone layer back in the 70s, but, you know. Yeah. yeah, She probably was getting some freckles. Yeah, most likely. Right? (laughs) So she went from Little Beach and walked to the family's summer home, which was not very far at all where she changed into a t-shirt and pink shorts. And then she borrowed her neighbor's bike and rode to Towers Drugstore in town, where she bought some candy, of course. What else are you going to do? You got a bike, you got some cash. And it probably cost like four cents to buy eight candy bars. From there, she rode the bike to Norseman at Ogunquit Beach, picked up the Sunday edition of the New York Times, and then headed back home. 
It was at this point, according to a witness, on the third floor of the Lookout Hotel, Mary had been stopped by a man in a maroon sedan. This hotel was called the Lookout Hotel, and it was actually just 200 yards away from Mary's house. So close. So Mary had literally just turned onto the road that her house was on. Yeah. And this woman just happened to be looking outside of the window, and she saw this car cruising behind her, and he eventually flagged her down. Mm -hmm. So Mary got off her bike, went to go talk to him, and she described the car as being maroon with a scratched hood, potentially a 1967 Chevy. And she said that the driver leaned out of the window to wave Mary down, and she saw that he was a white male in his early to mid-30s with dark hair and dark clothing. Hmm. So she was just kind of watching this. Um, I'm sure she'd seen Mary around. I think so. I think they said that she was someone who worked at the hotel or something. She wasn't, like, a tourist. Ooh. I don't think. So I she, if she was, like, a housekeeper or something. Yeah. So she, I believe she knew who Mary was in passing. Yeah. Or even just saw her riding her bike down that road because her house was right there. Right. So the woman said that it looked like Mary was giving the man directions just based off of like her body language. She might have been pointing, gesturing. And then after a couple minutes, Mary stashed the bike in an alcove of the hotel and then got in the car with this man. Mm -hmm. So the woman was thinking maybe she was giving the man directions mm -hmm. and he just was not picking up what she was putting down. Right. So I wonder if she got in the car and was like, it'll just be easier if I show you. I spend all my summers here. I know the area. I right. bike around and walk around the area. We're going to get in the car and go this way. Let me just right. show you. And the witness said that the conversation looked friendly. Both Mary and the man were smiling and, like, laughing and joking around. So it seemed pleasant. It didn't seem nefarious. Yes. The car then turned back down towards the main road, the opposite way Mary was headed. Mm. And this was about 5 p.m. and the last time that Mary would be seen alive. Right. By the time 6.30 rolled around, so, like, two hours later, one and a half hours later... Ruth, Mary's mom, was extremely worried because Mary hadn't come home. And this is how these cases usually go. There's a timeline that the kid is supposed to meet and then doesn't. This case, of course, Mary was going out to buy candy in the newspaper or whatever, probably for her mom, mm -hmm. the newspaper, and bring it back and she still wasn't there. So then they start to get a little worried. So she called her husband, Peter, who was not home. He was not there with them. He was still working. And... She was worried and she, I don't know why she didn't call the police first, but, or someone, maybe like somebody they knew in town, mm -hmm. but she called her husband and said, I'm really worried. I don't know what to do. Like, I think something's wrong. And then roughly half hour later, 7.15-ish, Ruth called the Agunquit Police Department and then reported Mary missing. And this is about two-ish hours, two and a half after Mary was last seen by her family. She also requested that they call the state police and get them involved, which I don't think was necessarily a bad idea at all. I wonder if Mary's dad, Peter, had told her to say that specifically. I wonder if he was like, okay, I'm glad you called me first. Mm -hmm. This is what you're going to do. You're going to call the Agunquit police because you're in Agunquit. She right. was last seen in Agunquit. Yeah. And then you were also going to have them immediately waste no time and get the state police involved. I wonder if he told her to do that. I think he probably did. Mm -hmm. And that was a good move. Mary's dad was relieved from duty and began making arrangements to come home, which getting a flight to Maine is, you know, not really an easy feat, but mm -hmm. he also was a head honcho in the army, so he could kind of, you know, there's perks to that. So he was making arrangements, he was relieved, he was going to go home. By 11 p.m. that night, police had found Mary's borrowed bicycle in the hotel alcove. 
The next morning, the marshal at Edgewood Arsenal, which was in Maryland, which was where Mary's dad was at at the time, notified the FBI that the general who was in charge of Operation Chase had to go to Maine because his daughter went missing. And he just wanted to let the FBI know, just in case the two were related. He's not saying that they are. He's not saying he has a suspicion that they are. He just had a little gut feeling that maybe he should let the FBI know that the general of Operation Chase's daughter just went missing. Which is a little bit of a dink that this is happening immediately after the newspaper article. A very big dink indeed, Katie. And... We'll get into it and why, ultimately, her case is still unsolved. Yeah. But I th- I think we keep mentioning Operation Chase because it's too big to ignore. It's Thank a pretty good, pretty good indicator of what may have happened. Just saying. Massive ground and air searches were carried out over the next several days with Green Berets using Army helicopters to search the three-mile coast of Agunquid, which is amazing. I mean, that's some of the perks you get when you're... A general in the army, so... Thank you. That's good for that. That's great resources. Firefighters were combing the woods carefully. People were walking shoulder to shoulder in the woods, on the streets. Anything they could do to try and find her. Because now there's a 13-year-old girl missing. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I think a lot of it came from the idea that this had to do with Operation Chase. The first few days were quiet from the police because the Olinchucks half expected a ransom call. Yeah. They were prepared to get a call that said, Hey, I have Mary stop your operations. Give me $5 million, whatever. And then she'll be returned safely. After two days, nothing happened. There was no call. There was no letter. So they just gave up that theory and finally announced to the public that it was time to really start cracking down and finding Mary. Mm-hmm. As the days went on, Local police and state detectives made press conferences and they released pleas for literally any information on Mary's whereabouts. And, you know, that's when they kind of learned about the witness who saw Mary get in the car. They had ultimately concluded anyways that she didn't run away because that wasn't like her. And once they got the information about the maroon sedan, they were like, oh, shit, she was definitely abducted. And now it's been two days. It's been three days. It's been four days. Where is she? We're running out of time, Mm -hmm. if we haven't already, which is often the case. Local buildings and cars that had been abandoned were searched, and the Maine State Police carefully looked over the sex offender records to try and find any clues, because that was their biggest guess. This perpetrator was probably a sex offender. Why else would you take a 13-year-old girl? What other motive would you have with her, other than having sex with her, Mm -hmm. assaulting her? Chief Cecil Perkins of the Agunquit Police Department had said that searching for Mary was like looking for a needle in a haystack, which if that were my child missing, that's not what I would want to hear. Right. Is he spot on? Yeah. Absolutely. But that just sucks. And that's with all of the resources from the army. Like this is the army general's daughter that has gone missing and they couldn't find her. So imagine the panic. Right. And then imagine, too, if this had been somebody else who just a regular old girl, what would that search have looked like in comparison? Right. State Police Public Information Officer P.L. Pert said that the search was complicated by thousands of tourists in the area. Police received and looked into leads on several different maroon cars, a pair of shorts found on the local beach, 
and a man on the beach who was approaching and asking young girls to go to a nearby dress store with him to try on clothes. That guy is just fucking creepy. That is perverted right there. So perverted. At this time, over a thousand missing persons posters of Mary had been sent out along the Canadian border and all the way down to Delaware, which I think is interesting because Delaware was right near where Mary's dad had been during this time. Right. In Maryland. Interesting. On August 15th, an FBI agent off the record handed Mary's aunt the phone number of Shirley Harrison, who was a well-known local psychic. That's when you know things are getting bleak. Yeah, if they reach out to someone in a profession that is largely proven to be inaccurate and also not real. I know, isn't that cr- Like, God, that really just shows that they are doing everything, covering all of their bases, even off the record. Absolutely. Shirley said that Mary was dead and that her body would be found in an unpainted barn on an estate near Kennebunk, Maine. Mm. So again, really not what you want to hear about your daughter. No. Ten days after Mary's disappearance, 50 local volunteers searched the coastal area between Agunquit and York Beach, and Agunquit Fire Chief Burton McAfee had the Agunquit Fire Department pump the water out of an old stone quarry. No results. No results. Also... The Maine State Police got a phone call made from a payphone, which was in Biddeford. They were able to trace it back. This is like two towns over from McGunquit. The person on the other end, which was a man, told the operator that he had Mary and that they should notify the police and inform them that he was going to call later with ransom plans. Nothing happened after that, and they believe it was a sick prank because the man sounded pretty drunk. Mm -hmm. This, of course, was after a news conference that was held where Peter spoke to the news and the media regarding Operation Chase. He mentioned it. He said this is one of the only times he ever spoke about Mary's disappearance. And this was on August 20th, 1970. So Peter spoke at this news conference and he said that it was, quote, highly improbable that his role in Operation Chase had anything to do with Mary's disappearance. He also, in that press conference, said that Mary would not have gone off with anyone she didn't know and that she must have known the man she went with. Which is interesting. Right. And, I mean, again, as we were describing her in the beginning, she was shy. Yes. She was very shy. She would not have just gone off with anybody, even okay. though she was kind. Right. And would give someone directions, even though Stranger Danger, it's also the 70s. Right. I feel like she genuinely would not have gotten into the car with someone at least she didn't find trustworthy. And like we said, that woman who saw this interaction said that it looked friendly, mm-hmm. that they were smiling. So maybe it was someone she knew. Maybe it was someone she recognized, even. even like maybe someone from one of the stores she went to. Yeah. Something like that. On August 22nd, Mary's partially decomposed body was found. She was left hidden under a pile of hay in a barn at the Parsons Estate in Kennebunk, Maine. The barn was just 10 miles away from where investigators believe she was abducted. And the barn had actually already been searched in the previous two weeks, which is really eerie. Yes. Because was someone holding on to Mary at that time? Right. You know, had someone murdered her the day she was last seen and then was holding on to her body to then strategically place there to prevent it from being found sooner? Mm -hmm. And I also think it's very bizarre that she was, in fact, found in a barn on an estate in Kennebunk. Right. Just like the kooky psychic said. (laughs) Right. That's crazy. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. Also, the owners of the property had called the Kennebunk Police Department somewhere in between when Mary was abducted to when they found her body and said that they had noticed that the barn door was open 
when it should have been closed and that they were concerned that there had been some trespassing being done in this barn. And of course, after hearing about Mary's disappearance, it was a little suspicious and probably really creepy. An officer did go to that barn. He did note an odd smell. Similar to decomposition, he said, but there were a whole bunch of piles of feathers, so he thought it was like a dead bird underneath the hay. In what turned out to be Mary's body the whole time. I'm unsure of what the timeline as far as how soon it was before they found Mary's body, but it was definitely Mary's body that he was smelling. Sir. (laughs) Wouldn't you have thought that he would have smelled decomposition before? He's a police officer. I think bird decomp is a little different than than human decomp. And I just feel like if you know that there is a young girl who has gone missing. Right. And there's a pretty solid chance, even if there's a small chance, mm-hmm. that her body could be underneath there or that she could be murdered. And you are looking for a body and you smelt a scent that indicates that there is a body present. Wouldn't you want to confirm with your own eyes to sleep at night that there is, in fact, a bird dying underneath the hay? Yeah, I would. Because me personally, as much as it's disgusting, as much as it's gross, as much as you don't want to see something no. dead and decomposing, right? I feel like if you were looking for a little girl, you would really want to 110% confirm that it is not, in fact, the little girl's body underneath that right. hay, but indeed a bird, as your mind is trying to tell you. Right. Oh, that's infuriating. I agree. After Mary's body was found, she was taken to a nearby hospital in Waterville, Maine, which is not very far from Agunquit. And her identification was made based on the clothes because it was August and it was hot. And she had been in a dry area with no ventilation Mm -hmm. and she was pretty far decomposed. And it had been 13 days, which in the summer heat is a fair amount of time. The body was dressed in shorts and a jersey and also had a wristwatch, which was identified as being a gift from Peter. And the watch, which interestingly enough, I have no idea what this means, but it could be nothing. But it was stopped at 6.15 a.m. on August 11th. That was the date that was on the watch. That's terrifying. It could have been something as simple as water gone in it. You know, like maybe it rained or whatever. But it is very suspicious that that was when it had stopped. That's really creepy. Mm-hmm. Autopsy revealed that Mary was strangled to death by a piece of lobster rope, which is really horrific. Like, so main. So main. That's awful. Yeah. Makes me feel like it was local then. Thank you. Like a local person. 100%. There were no other signs of injury or signs of sexual assault, which I find very intriguing. Yes. There were traces of skin and black human hair underneath her fingernails, which indicated that she had fought back so hard against her attacker, but ultimately she's a 13-year-old girl fighting back against who we think is a white male in his mid-30s. Right. And he was described as having dark hair, so I do find it very interesting that underneath her fingernails was dark-colored hair. Right. And something I could just never get over was that there was no sexual assault. Which, of course, is great. That's terrible. That's a terrible thing. But what was the motivation? Thank you. A large part of these people who will abduct and kill children is because of the sexual aspect of it. They were so unsure because her body was pretty decomposed. So there was kind of some leeway to whether or not she'd been sexually assaulted. But they actually ended up x-raying her. And they did 
look at that as closely as they could. And they did conclude, yes, she had not been sexually assaulted. So what was the motivation? Why would somebody strangle this girl, this innocent girl, but not assault her? Right. She had no other injuries on her body. Very bizarre. Very bizarre. Some police officers think that Mary's killer could have been a tourist because thousands and thousands of people flocked to the area in the summer. Mm-hmm. It seems like if it was a tourist, there would have been evidence of sexual assault on Mary's body. Right. Because, you know, if you're a tourist and you're not there, you're not known. You could easily blend in with the thousands of other people and you abduct a teenage girl or a young teenage girl, too, for sexual gratification. Yeah. I mean, there's a motive right there and there was no evidence of sexual assault. Right. So, you know, I don't know if it would really make sense for it to be a tourist. Right. And there also is the fact that she was found in a barn in Maine on someone's estate under a pile of hay right. after that area had already been searched. So I feel like in order for someone to be familiar with that area, mm-hmm. they would have had to be local, mm-hmm. especially because the search was underway pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like within the first couple of days, that area would have been searched. Yeah. And so then the person involved would have known that. Right. And then knowing that that barn wouldn't have been searched again for a while yeah. or who knows how long. Right. And so then it would be safe to dispose of her body. Absolutely. And also the lobster rope. Very Lobster. Specific. Yeah. Maine. Come so, on. Like, like what we're known for. A tourist doesn't run around. They don't come from out of state, out of New England even, just carrying around lobster rope to strangle little girls. Right. Definitely true. Of course, as we also talked about, Operation Chase, a huge factor potentially, in why Mary was abducted and then murdered. Operation Chase disposed of different chemical weapons, like you said, Katie. This included mustard gas, which was used in Vietnam, and then also sarin gas, which famously was used 25 years later in March of 1995 in Tokyo, when the cult Om Shinrikyo used it as a terrorist attack on a subway station, had three different subway cars placed with a bag of sarin and then popped, and then the perpetrators ran, and 11 people died from that, and that was because of the wind that day. It would have been hundreds of thousands. It's a nerve agent, both that and mustard gas, that cause you to foam at the mouth and lose you know, paralysis of your lungs, and you're dying, and it's very brutal. And they're taking 3,000 tons of concrete and dumping it in the middle of the ocean. I could see why people would be fucking pissed about that. I could see it. I was fucking pissed about that when I learned that this is something the U.S. Well, I'm not surprised that the U.S. No. military condoned this because they've condoned a lot of much, much, much worse. Yeah. Like literal murder of hundreds of thousands of innocent people. However, it's crazy. Like knowing what we know now, mm. you don't do that. Dump shit. Like that's crazy. Yeah. No, that's very bad. Only two years after Mary's murder, a public law called the Marine Protection, Research, and Sanctuaries Act of 1972 was passed, and that prohibited anything like Operation Chase from ever happening again. And that's great, and we love that. I just bring that up as part of a theory because, you know, it could be motivation. We Mm -hmm. talked about how it's ironic or a crazy coincidence that that ransom threat was made a day before she went missing. Very interesting. I don't know if it necessarily correlates, but it's a very weird coincidence. I do think it's also interesting that people in a gunkwit would know of Mary and her family because they weren't 
just tourists. I mean, technically, they were there for the summer. They spent their summers there, but keyword summers plural. Like, they had a summer home. They were technically local to that area. I'm Sure. sure that after them going there for years and years and years, people knew who Peter was, mm-hmm. what his job was, that he was a very important person in the army, that he was a general, mm-hmm. and that his daughters would putz around town. Mary would go on the beach and right. do whatever she needed to do, you know? So I feel like if it was related to Operation Chase, there would be someone in that area that knew mm-hmm. who Mary was and who her dad was. Yes. And maybe would have access to lobster rope mm-hmm. and a potentially... 1967 scratched Chevy, maroon colored. Right. And maybe knew where that barn was at and maybe even helped in the search. Very true. There was one additional piece of evidence that came alight, which involved 16-year-old Bob Walsh, who lived in Kennebunk. He said he had actually been in the barn on the night of the murder and that he and a friend had left their fishing gear and their sleeping bags and stuff behind in that barn when they heard a strange rustling sound coming from the woods. It was like 1 in the morning, 1, 1.30. Bob's family owned a motel like across the street. And so when they heard this noise, they, him and the friend ran across the street. They ran to the motel. And then he heard a car start before he saw it sit in front of the motel, kind of idle at the crosswalk or the lights, and then drive away. Unfortunately for Bob, the town took this information and thought, oh, it must have been Bob then. He even earned the nickname Killer Bob at school. Oh my god. Fun fact, he actually was um, elected the school president the year before, like right before the summer started, so he was going to go into the school year as the class president. And that completely changed because he was, people called him Killer Bob. No. Here's the thing, though. Bob was a teenager. The suspect was described as being a man in his 30s. Also, he didn't have a license. You know, because he was 16. Barely. So automatically, like, it didn't take very long for them to be like, oh, that you're not a suspect. Did that stop the, the mean kids around town? No. He was still Killer Bob. And he talked about in this article I read that he was still pretty affected by it years later because it was like, I just, uh. And the worst part is that Bob confirmed that after that night where they heard the rustling and then saw the car, he had been back to the barn several times. And this was before Mary's body had been discovered. He said that each time there was a worsening smell and that eventually became so foul that he actually got sick to his stomach from it. And of course, now we know it was Mary decomposing, which breaks my heart for her, obviously. And then for Bob learning that later, probably that would have made me sick all over again. And unfortunately, despite in 1980, which was 10 years after her murder, the police announced they had an unidentified suspect they were looking to, nothing came of it, and that was it. To this day, her murder has never been brought to justice. And it has been over 50 years. Yeah. And there's still no answer. I think that Mary's one remaining family member is the middle sister. I think so. Her older sister was married and lived in Boston. Like, she was a little bit older. Yeah. So I think the Jane, the middle one, is still alive. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is one of Maine's oldest cold cases. Anyone with any information on the murder of Mary Olenchuk is asked to please call the Maine State Police at 1-800-228-0857. And that is the horrible, mysterious, terrible murder of Mary Olenchuk. Guys, I want to know what you think. I want to know your theories. Katie, 
Don't you just want to know? I am so torn because I really don't feel like it was a tourist. I don't really either at I all. really don't feel like it was a tourist. Mm-hmm. I really feel like it was someone local or maybe that had local involvement. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. Something in me just says that it's a little bit too much of a coincidence that this whole Operation Chase thing came to light mm-hmm. two days before she disappeared and then just one day after that article where students mm-hmm. were threatening... You know, any family member that involved in this, we're going to come for you. We're going to, yeah. you're going to pay all that other stuff. Yeah. Just very freshly, too, after the Kent State Massacre, you know, college kids home for the summer, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. In that area could still very much be enraged and maybe getting together, communicating with friends. Like, oh, the, the army general's daughter is down the street from me in a gunquit. Right. Very interesting. And the fact that there was no sexual assault is also very intriguing to me because that is 90% of why people kill children. So we want to know what you think. What are your theories? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at true crime, any all lowercase, or you can send us an email with your thoughts at true crime, any at gmail.com. We of course have a website where you can go to our contact us page and send us your questions, comments, thoughts on this episode, especially. We always want to know your thoughts, but I think this one, we are very curious to hear your thoughts. Mm -hmm. You could use the handy dandy submission tool to send us cases that you'd like to hear us cover based in New England, please. If you leave your name, if you so choose, you can be anonymous if you like, but if you leave your name, if you desire... And we decide to cover the case that you send in to us. You will get a shout out at the top of the episode, just like we did here today. Thank you again, Tabitha P., for this case suggestion. Thank you so much, Tabitha. And if you're feeling a little generous, if you want to scroll down just ever so slightly past the handy dandy submission tool to our buy us a coffee link, you can click the button that says thank you and buy us a coffee. Well, myself a coffee and Liz a non-coffee related beverageino. But again, as we always say, you guys do not have to send us any money in any way, shape or form. We'd rather you donate it and let us know you donated. That would be great. But if you're just wanting to show a little appreciation, buy us a coffee is there. If not, if you don't ever do any of that good stuff, we know that you appreciate us. We appreciate you for being here and listening. And, of course, before we go, make sure you check out the store page on our website, which is where we have our brand new merch. Yay! And with that, we'll see you next week. Bye! Goodbye!